I'm Russ Forrest, and this is 8-Track. Our guests today, our songwriting duo, have been making music for well over two decades and recently released their 10th album, Cry Baby. Happy to welcome Tegan and Sarah to the show. Hello. Hi. Hello. So your theme is new songs I'm loving right now, which is kind of nice to be kind of in the moment because I think there's a lot of ways, you know, in the show we'll look back and we'll, we'll we'll cover a lot of ground and it'll probably just naturally happen by way of the conversation. But uh, we're going to center on the new right now. Um, and Tegan, we'll, we'll get started with you. So your first pick here is Bennett Coast and a song called Seeds. Could you tell me a little bit about that song? Yeah, I mean, my life, I feel like in the last year or so, maybe almost two years, has been dramatically affected by TikTok, like billions of other people. Did I find out what I need? I can't break you Once I find out how I bleed, take me? I have found a shocking amount of new music through TikTok, which is both, you know, a good thing and the bane of my existence, because I do feel as a musician now, everybody is hyper-focused on TikTok and having a viral hit. And um, I'm not sure that I love that because I think as a musician who's been traveling and touring and building a career for 20 some years, I know it's way harder than that. It's not just about having a big song. You have to build a story. You have to let people get to know you. Like there's more to it, you know, to have a career. But I do end up finding a lot of new music via TikTok, and Bennett Coast was somebody that um, came up on my For You page, I guess, and someone was talking about how cool they were, and I heard maybe 15 seconds of the song and was like opening up Spotify before I knew it and getting the song, so I was like, this is how it happens. <laughs> I think it's really interesting as you went into that that TikTok conversation. Like, I want to just go back and explore that a little bit because that's, you know, you have twenty <laughs> plus years of history building up your career, and there's got to be this unbelievable pressure for new artists to try to get themselves out there. But at the same time, so many different ways to do that, and so many people trying to do it all at once. Like, I can't even imagine just getting a start now and trying to figure out, like, oh, okay, here's the blueprint for how I'm going to become. A famous musician or how I'm going to be a successful recording artist. I don't even under, you know, begin to comprehend. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a thing every generation says, but I'm really glad we came up in the time we did because it does seem there are more avenues, which is really incredible to get your music out there these days. You know, when we started out in the late nineties, you know, we used to joke, we just kind of flopped around in obscurity for, you know, a good five or six years before we started to get you know, credible press and, and good tours. And I feel like we put each brick in the wall, you know, like I felt like we built our career organically. And these days it's true. You can put something up on a SoundCloud or, you know, on TikTok and all of a sudden it blows up, but there's still an enormous amount of work that goes into cultivating an audience and creating a story about your band that people can hold on to. I think longevity comes from an investment or a connection in your project. You know, it's why you can see an artist have billions of streams and not be able to sell 300 tickets. And I think it would be very complicated to navigate the world right now. But that being said, those young artists are coming up in that world. So I don't, they don't seem particularly 
afraid of it. And I think that's why Sarah and I lean into it. It's why we have always embraced social media. We've always, you know, embraced all that stuff. They don't seem afraid of it, but they seem exhausted by it. It feels like every time I look at the news, people are like, I'm exhausted. I have to cancel my tour. I'm so overwhelmed. I have to put my mental health first. Like I'm saying, like, there's clearly an issue. You know, I think you're, you're seeing the same stuff that's happening for, you know, adolescents or young people just in regular day life, you're seeing that sort of amplified in the professional realm because I think that, you know, to what Tegan's talking about flopping around in obscurity, there's also something really uh, healthy about getting to build your craft and not have to constantly look into the reflection pool of social media. Like it's just, you know, back when we were starting out, we were able to make mistakes. We were able to have successes. We were able to do all of these things without the magnifying glass over top of us. And Mm -hmm. I do think that the struggle with right now, like trying to navigate even for our band, you know, how much of social media really matters and is there a workaround if you ignore these things and you're not participating in the sort of like main artery of social media and entertainment now? Like, are you over? Um, you know, like it's just, it's exhausting. And that's the part that I, I, I think Tegan's right that there's like all these wonderful places to try to put yourself out there now. But on the other hand, once you're exposed and you're putting yourself out there, it is never ending. Like it just is, it just never stops. Even for us. I will say that was one thing that struck me about Bennett Coast because I did a little research, you know, after I heard the song. It's so funny because I don't even really feel like I understand if it's one person or a band. <laughs> like this is the other thing these days is like young people, they're telling you less about themselves in this weird way, but then there's still this curated aesthetic. Like I felt like their aesthetic, I'm just going to say them for the time being since I don't actually know if it's a band or a person. Or, But um, their aesthetic is so cool. I love their social media, like their merch, how they announce merch is through videos. It's really cool. But Sarah's right. It's clearly exhausting everyone of any generation because you know back in the day we would just like make a t-shirt <laughs> that you just go out on tour and you sell your t-shirt you put it up on your website and now you have to like film a 12 minute short film to announce oh your God, your t-shirts to compete so it's yeah it's definitely really different but I will say that I do really like Bennett Coast's um, aesthetic and I hope that they don't have to put up a video saying that they're going to have to take a break because they're tired I mean there's certainly <laughs> opportunity there to be able to do a billion different things Yeah. but Sarah I think you made the point is that you kind of don't have that advantage of being able to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. years ago, you know, you could have your bumps and bruises as you were, you know, learning to who you are as a band and what your music is all about and as you're developing. And now it almost feels like you have to have it more figured out mm-hmm. because yeah. you have less rope. And, you know, I also think too that there's, um, and maybe this is part of the fati- like general fatigue that a lot of the younger artists are feeling, but you are not allowed to stop. Like if you are not constantly repopulating your page and your Spotify and your whatever, um, you are, you're just losing in the algorithm game. And it didn't used to be like that. Like there used to be space, even for a band like us, like we never stop working. Like we are unwell. Like Tegan and I have no boundaries. We never stop working. We are always making things and doing things. But there was still time in my schedule to do nothing or to, I don't know, like watch every season of The West Wing. Like, I don't know. I like I just remember there being time in my life. And now I have like no time because somebody is constantly breathing down my neck being like, can you write a social media copy with hashtags for whatever, like Red Balloon Day? Or like, can you can you take um, BTS content of yourself you know, with Tegan this weekend, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. Like, I just always feel like there's like these small micro details that cloud up the time when I used to just be able to sit on my butt. 
you know, enjoying life and being inspired. And then I'd think, oh, I want to go write a song. You have to be omnipresent. Yeah. You you have to be. And it, you know, I, this is one of the things. How long is the show? 12 hours? Great. <laughs> um, there was this thing that happened during COVID where, you know, we started to talk with our record label about the possibility, our former record label about the possibility of making a new album. And, you know, we started to have these really candid conversations because we were um, going through a management change. So we were having these like one-to-one conversations without, you know, filter for the first time in a long time and people just were like yeah your Spotify sucks like you don't have a lot of you know you have fine numbers but like you guys don't put up enough you don't you don't release enough songs you're not like out there like you're not active is essentially what I took away from the conversations and I just thought to myself like talking about we like we never stop working we are constantly making things like I of course young people feel fatigued and exhausted like we're old enough too that we just have like infrastructure and we have stamina and um and I think we can sort of like tolerate this and we can sort of laugh at it a little bit but if I was 18 years old I would also be having to sit down for a while like I would it's exhausting I think there's something uh, you know about surrounding yourself with the right people and and the positivity of others and I think Sarah, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that might be some of the thought behind this Alex G song called Runner. Yeah. There definitely feels like there's a little bit of like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be OK because I've got these people with me. Yeah, I love Alex G and I love this album. But this song, I love the vibe. Every time it comes on, I think it's um, Runaway Train by Soul... Uh, what's that band called again? Yeah, Soul Asylum. Soul Asylum. Yeah, you're Soul Asylum. Yeah. <laughs> God, why, I was about to say Soul Cycle. See? Everything's garbage now. I can't even remember bands that were important to me. Um, but I absolutely love it. It's a joy, this whole album, start to finish. reminds me of some of my favorite just totally out there weirdo all over the map albums that you can't quite like what is the common thread feels like almost like an animal collective record or something like very oddball moments and like I play the album top to bottom in the house all the time but and I'm sure that my partner does not know that it is one artist What's a I think one of the many joys of music is just having it rope you in in one direction and then taking you in another one that maybe you didn't expect. And so when we get to the part of that song, we're just talking about I've done a lot of bad things. And then there's just a screech of a yelp that I totally didn't expect. I was like, oh, I'm so in. That just did it for me right there. I don't know why he did that. But it worked. <laughs> that part always makes me think that it, I think the song is so great. And I mean this as a compliment, but it's almost like he's like drunk. You know, like when somebody's trying to like sing a song drunk and then they kind of like go for it in this way, like like in karaoke and people are just like singing extra hard in certain sections and everybody laughs. And I don't know, there's something about just how like, I don't know, he's just really given it. I also noticed too, like just with the first song that Tegan played so much acoustic guitar right now, yeah. which is I think is a very 90s thing, which is I think we can sort of say that's how we ended up going from being like a sort of punk rock band in the 90s um, and then introducing a bunch of acoustic guitar in the early aughts. 
like I think we were really influenced by that sound um, coming out of the you know the crazy alt music sort of genre shift that happened when we got out of high school and I feel like I'm hearing it so much in music right now just like these like really pretty but also kind of tinny acoustic guitars I'm loving it I don't know if the Garden State soundtrack influenced more than I think I expected at the time, but looking back on it now, you know, it does feel like that sort of paved the way. You were still feeling the ripple yeah, effects. Yeah, I think so, to some extent. But what about you guys? What about for the new record? You know, what was the approach there and how was that different than what you had done over the last couple of albums? I mean, I think the keyword there is different. You know, I think Sarah and I, one of the things, like, I don't think we're an easy band to categorize like I don't think we've ever been a band that's like I think people will say oh Tegan and Sarah they sound like this but I actually think if you're really like looking at our whole catalog we're not easy to categorize I think we've changed our sound a lot and that's always been intentional partly it's what we're influenced by but partly it's because every time we have any sort of success on an album we immediately dismantle it and try to do something totally different because I think thankfully we were born with this sort of ingrained concept that if you're just trying to repeat yourself, then there's no point in making, like we don't need to make the con, our album the con ever again, because we already made it. And I think with Crybaby, as we were sort of weaving our way through the pandemic, we were exploring a lot of different kinds of production, but Sarah sort of nailed it with a song in particular called I Can't Grow Up and another one called All I Wanted. And I think she was just, she was getting very experimental. And as soon as I heard those songs and we were, also like looking around at management and a few really cool managers we were talking to also pointed out that those two songs had a, a style and a sound that felt very original, very different than what's happening in music right now and very different than anything we'd done. And, and we tend to use those as billboards, you know, that are telling us this is the direction to drive in, use this exit, use the bathroom at you know, this location. We were like, all right, we'll follow. Now, how does that creativity balance with what, you know, the audience expectation is potentially? I mean, there's there's a segment of the audience, I'm sure, that's like that wants to have you always constantly, you know, shape shift and grow. And then there might be a segment that's like, no, I like this. I like that you guys do this. So is that is that tough while you're trying to be creative uh, to have that in the back of your head? I think that, well, at least for me, when I'm in those moments, those periods of time where I'm making music and being creative, I'm not really thinking that much about the audience or about, you know, how how the music is going to be shaped and what it even means for our career albums. Like, I mean, truly, like, I think when you're in your creative flow state and you're you're just making music, you know, if you're thinking too much, then you're not in your creative flow state. <laughs> you know, like I just sort of was making things that would like get me excited and that I would want to work on for hours and hours every single day. But, you know, if I zoom out, like if I'm being honest, I think being too trusting of your audience, meaning like if you're making albums for your audience, I, I think that that is that's an error. And I also think like you don't want to abandon your audience. So it's some like some kind of like mix in between because there's always going to be people who stick with you no matter what you do. And there's also going to be people who just like grow out of you or they grow out of music or they forget about you because they just heard that one song on Grey's Anatomy and then they never really totally dug into your catalog. So I think in some ways it's like almost like every album we make or every song I write, I'm kind of approaching it like I'm starting over. And you know, there's enough of that Tegan and Sarah DNA, I think, to keep people mostly excited and interested. But at least for me, I'm trying to imagine, like, can we attract a new audience? Can we attract people who've never heard us before with this music? It always feels healthy when you're moving forward. And it sounds like that is uh, is definitely the approach. Yeah. Um, this song, however, is called Backwards Directions. And it's by an artist named Abby Sage. Tegan, can you talk about this song? Yeah, this was another one that sort of just popped up in my world on a playlist. I got a dirty mouth to you 
I don't know much about this artist, but I do love the singer's voice a lot. And I'm definitely in a stage right now where I'm maybe listening to a little bit more introspective music, but also I tend to be seeking out unique voices. It felt modern, but it also felt like it could have been from the early aughts, which I also really like. Also just have weird ass visuals. I'm like a big fan of a weird Instagram page and there's just like creatively I really appreciate this artist's visuals and social media voice and these are things that I seek out. It, it, it's, it's hard to place what time or what era it sits in which I really like. Yeah I'm a big fan of things that feel like they're you know eight different kinds of familiar but I can't really place which one yes. it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The, um, you know, instrumentation kind of does take you on a journey. And I do think it's just like such a killer chorus. I was in a real Sharon Van Etten. Sarah was like really into Sharon Van Etten, is still, but like I got really into Sharon Van Etten this summer. So I feel my algorithm probably delivered me this song because it sort of lives in that same world with the really direct lyrics and I don't know there's just something totally about her voice but I, I do think it's um, a really interesting journey that you go on with that song. And talking about instrumentation, uh, Sarah, your pick here of, of Steve Lacey's song called Mercury, I think, is a, is a really great one because that's one of those tracks that to me feels like there's, you know, four or five different songs in one. Oh, yeah. It's like a bossa nova piece at one point. <laughs> um, so what, what what is this song to you? So this summer has been pretty wild for me. Um, I had my first child in June, and when... He arrived, you know, everybody would be like, oh, you know, like, it's so intense to have a baby, but you'll, you know, just cozy up on the couch, like Netflix and chill. And like, it was chaos. Wait, 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 time on, time on. I can't let that go. I can't. I just can't. I know. Who gave you that advice? So many people. So many people were like, just cuddle up, be cuddle bugs in the bed with no, your baby. There's, I don't there like that is word. no chill with a new baby there's in the house. There's literally no chill. Like, was like, I felt like I was I was using a lot of like war analogies and my partner Stacy was like, do not talk about band of brothers in relationship to the birth of our child and like anymore. It just felt like chaos initially. Like, I promise this is going to tie back to Steve Lacey. I promise. I have no doubt. So a lot of the parts of having a kid that people focus on and would talk to me about before and even after I had a kid, they're, I think they're less acute for me because they're more reminiscent of like what I feel like on tour. Like people will be like talking about the deep, deep exhaustion, like fatigue of like, you know, having your sleep completely disrupted. And I'm like, yeah, no, I understand because like try flying to like Korea and then New Zealand and then Germany and then popping back over to New York for a radio show in one week you know like it's like my body's quite used to like sleep deprivation and mayhem but like just the psychology of like here is a thing that is seven pounds don't kill it 
Yeah, it's, it's rule number one. Don't kill it. Yeah, <laughs> don't kill it. Yeah. And then also, like, just, like, everything about your life is just, it seems like it's normal, except now there's a baby there. And it's just, I don't know, I found it really chaotic. But, yeah, so people will be like, just cozy up and rest and relax. And my partner and I are super A-type, and we were like, we felt like everything that people would recommend to us, you know, just let the dishes pile up and just stay in your PJs. Like every time people would sort of prescribe us things about having the child, I would be like, it feels like we're sick. You know, like people were basically like, you'll get over this illness soon enough, just like lean in. And so our response was kind of to be the opposite, or at least mine was like, the house has never been cleaner. It's like 16 loads of laundry a day. Like we were lapping the neighborhood by day two. Like, you know, it was just like, I'm going to like be super A-type. But the biggest shock for me was just how much time I had to listen to music. I certainly wasn't sitting on the couch watching TV, but I was spending a lot of time just kind of like creating like a sort of like environment, like ambient sound in the room because I was spending a lot of time with him and just like sitting in the living room or going for a long walk or figuring out how to feed him or whatever, like all of these kind of details. And this Steve Lacey record became the soundtrack of my summer. Every song is a banger, but this one's my favorite. And Sid loves it too. That's my kid. It's like I'm like watching some other version of a life from this room, you know, like like he's talking about sex and he's talking about drugs and he's talking about all these things and I'm just like, like I'm holding a baby. Something about the like insane contrast or like contradictory lifestyle that was happening that I just, I would put that record on like just a glimpse back into some kind of weird wacky world that I was not living in. I do as I please and you see where we live Yeah, something bad ain't about to happen to me You think I'm two-faced, I can 23 I'd be curious to know who Steve Lacey had been listening to for, you know, the last six months or something leading up to the record. If it's like Roy Ayers and Stevie Wonder or something, I have no idea. Like a big chunk of this song sounds like Sade to me, like that, like Lover's nice. Rock album. Like there's just like something like, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I totally agree. Like it's just, it's fascinating. I mean, the whole album is like an inspiration love fest or something. You can just tell that he's pulling from all over the place and very original too. Like, I don't think it's. I don't think it's bad to sound like the music you love. You know, I think it's, he's always going to sound like himself, too. And I really appreciate, you know, right now it feels like in music, it's a lot more experimental again. Like for a while there, it felt like everybody was getting into pop music, which we did too. And Well, that lane is still there. That lane the is lane there. Is, but Yeah, yeah. Pop music is still cool. And it's still happening, but one of the things that I'm really liking is just like how freaky everybody is being. Like there's a lot of records that are just like idiosyncratic all over the map, playing with different kinds of genres of music in one song. Like, I love it. Well, that's the opportunity that the artists, I think, I, I would hope that they would have right now to take those chances, yeah. you know, once they've kind of established themselves. But again, you know, as per the earlier conversation, you've got to get to the point where you can, you can do that, where you're, where you're free to do that. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting too, like one of the things of you know, that I find really fascinating about Spotify. I didn't understand this about Spotify um, until I really started listening to the um, 
you know when like there's an artist like it'll say like Tegan and Sarah radio and it's like the artist music but it'll be like stuff that they've done uh, like adjacently or like music that is sort of like in the same vibe or genre or whatever but like when I look at like Steve Lacey radio which I sometimes listen to you know he's all over the place like he's just featured everywhere he's doing things all over the place and you know it's a great example of like I think an artist who's like obviously leading the pack in terms of like how you stay relevant how you sort of like attack the playlist game you know he's just all over the place like you can't stay away from this guy have you ever spent time listening to tegan and sarah radio and have the algorithm go in a direction that you're like what like what's yes. meatloaf I doing mean, in there well first of all yeah yeah hey i'd be thrilled but i think actually the thing that really confuses me is sometimes like time like this where we're doing a lot of press and whatever i search us a little bit i have my own personal Spotify account. I'm not on the Tegan and Zara Spotify account, but sometimes I'll be like, oh yeah, how does that song from this business of art go? Or like, what was that thing that we did with that guy back in 2010? And then my algorithm on Spotify will change to be more Tegan and Zara focused. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, no, I do not need more Tegan and Zara. <laughs> I'm pretty focused. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Like stop feeding me Tegan and Zara. I don't need my band in my algorithm. Thanks so much. Now, you mentioned, obviously, you know, with the newborn and all the the focus and the attention being there, but you've also got High School as a TV series and the adaptation of the memoir. So, you know, how has that whole process been for you both? It's been cool. I mean, right before COVID happened, we had just put out our memoir and had put out an album of songs we'd written in high school. So we were very much in the high school mindset and we had started the process of developing the show for television with our friend Clea Duvall, who's a writer and director and actor and, you know, had read an early version of the book because we asked her to blurb for it and she'd come to us and said, you know, we should develop this together and, you know, let me be a part of telling your story. She knows us very well. We've been friends for 15 years. She knows our family and and then COVID hit. So we really had all of a sudden all this time to work on it and go out and pitch it. And, you know, to our shock and surprise and glee, we, we were able to sell it and filmed it this past winter and spring in Calgary. And it's been you know, it's like a really surreal thing to be involved in something totally different than what we've done our entire adult life. Obviously, it's a privilege to get to make something that's not music. Um, it feels similar to what it felt like to get to write the book. It feels like an opportunity to go play in a different, you know, creative world. But it's so much bigger, I mean, than anything we've ever done. The show is produced and made by Amazon. And, you know, it's just the biggest budget thing we've ever been a part of. And there's just so many people, you know, on set, there's like over 100 people and the sort of machinery, the marketing machinery, you know, has started up for the show. And it's just dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews. And like the reach is so huge. And billboards with the lead season in Rayleigh on it in New York and LA. And it's just, it's very strange. Like it feels very disconnected from who we are as people in a way though, too, because it is so much bigger and it's not really us. Um, but it's been incredible. I mean, it's really exciting to be a part of telling a story that I don't think gets told very often, like not just because we're queer women, but it tells the story of us figuring out that we can play music and learning how to play guitar and starting our band in the 90s. And these were, you know, concepts that were really exciting for us to bring not only to our memoir, but to the screen, because we don't see that very often. We often see men becoming creative. We see men starting bands. We see men learning how to play guitar and becoming heartthrobs, but we don't see women doing that very often. And um, it's really exciting. It's really a sweet story. You know, it's partly fictionalized, so it doesn't feel totally like our story. So I can say that it is very weird to be going out and being like, the show is amazing. The story is incredible, <laughs> but it is really different than our life. And I think 
Um, Clea did an absolutely amazing job and Laura Kittrell, who also wrote on the show, did an amazing job. They're both queer women from the 90s. So they, I think, um, did an incredible job bringing the story to the screen and the soundtrack is incredible and Anna Warnaker scored the show. So she's incredible. She was in that dog in the 90s. So just it's just an, an amazing, amazing, amazing group of people and I'm really proud of the show. Could your high school versions of yourselves have, have envisioned this, you know, <laughs> being a I mean, thing? probably Tegan could have. She was quite confident even at, at even in her adolescence. She was... She saw world domination in our future. Um, you know, I've been saying this a lot. Like, we get asked, you know, about the TV show. Like, is it so surreal? Is it so strange? But, you know, I think it's really hard for us to grasp what this all really is because we are living it. And we've been kind of living in a documentary series of ourselves for 25 years. Like, I don't feel like a normal person. <laughs> you know, I don't feel like, I mean, we are in a constant state of self-observation, self-exploitation. We are constantly mining our own selves and stories and life for um, you know songs and inspiration and it's just such a tightly wound feedback loop at this point that in so many ways the TV show just feels like a natural thing like I'm just like of course we have a TV show about us but every once in a while something will break through like a full like um, 100% feeling will come through and I will be very overwhelmed and I remember having that on set a little bit like sometimes when the twins, um, Season and Rayleigh, who Tegan mentioned, you know, they have never acted. They'd never played music. We found them on TikTok. Really sweet kids. Reminded us a lot of ourselves at that age, like really charismatic, really um, charming, compelling, watchable, and yet hadn't quite figured out. They, ha they hadn't quite figured out their brand, I guess you could say. Like they hadn't figured out what they were going to do with all that charm and charisma. And when we saw them, we just knew like, oh, these, these girls are good. They can totally do this. And they, they sort of have that magic that I think we had when we were 17 years old. But there was times on set where, you know, they have to put these long wigs on sort of to approximate our long hair <laughs> in the 1990s. And they would walk onto set and I would see them on the on the monitors. And I, I, I sometimes I would cry just because it reminded me of, of us. Like I was getting to finally see us outside of our own lives. And then also just kind of like the tenderness of that time and being young and not knowing what was ahead of us like just to sort of be back in that headspace because so much of the show is not about like Tegan and Zara in a band like it's so much just about the small moments of like you know who am I what am I who do I like what am I going to be when I grow up and sometimes I've just found myself very moved on set thinking about like how simple it all was back then. There's definitely something about you know the nostalgia of a particular memory but to watch it play out with other people as they were you. I mean, that has to be like a mind blow of a different kind. It is. And I think that's why sometimes it didn't register because I think that our brains are protecting us. So, you know, like it is really intense. Like, and when those moments cut through, like there's a moment where Kobe Smulders, who's a fabulous, she plays our mom. And there was a day where she, her first day on set, actually, she was shooting at the University of Calgary, which is where our mom went to school when we were, she went back and got her bachelor's degree when we were in, in elementary school and then went back again in high school to do her master's of social work. And I've been at the university a million times and, you know, we've always been really proud of my mom and we thought she was so badass and just really inspirational. But there was just something about sitting on set that day, like at the University of Calgary and seeing Kobe sitting in, you know, the amphitheater in a class and then walking through the halls and then going to the parking lot to get her car, which is like our car from high school. And I, again, I was just sort of like, my brain exploded because 
I had never seen it. You know, like I had imagined it like my mom is at school. My mom is cool. My mom is juggling work and raising our punk asses. And, you know, and she's so cool. But like to sit on set and go like, wow, my mom was like 37 years old and she was just like raising teenagers and going to school and working and like I just I cried like I just was like god it was my mom is so cool and maybe it's because I'm older now so I can also really like really take it in in a very different way um just for the record I was not crying hysterically every day on set for 12 hours I mean those moments were they were special and and they sort of came unexpectedly on occasion it sounds like a beautiful experience it was super cool really cool uh, next song on the list, Tegan, is Ron Boy's Say Too Much. And maybe we have just a bit, but that's okay, because that's the beauty of the conversation. So, like, <laughs> but tell me about Ron Boy. Yeah, I mean, I read a piece in Under the Radar about Ron Boy and about um, their new record, Pity to Love, and just checked out the song and loved it. Immediately added it to a playlist. Don't know much about them. Follow them on Instagram. Another very cool, young, great new artist making really great art with what appears to be lots of other women, which is very cool. Kind of a 90s aesthetic, but also feels pretty modern. I feel like the production on this album is really cool. Um, The record just came out on September 30th, so I haven't spent that much time with it yet. But this song in particular has been on my playlist now for over a month and I just love it. hear how that Sharon Van Etten algorithm made good. Uh, another one right there. That's Ron Boy and Say Too Much. That that works. Thank you for that one, Tegan. Yeah. So our, our next one, uh, Sarah, we go back to you here. Um, and I love the fact that we, we get to talk about Mac DeMarco just because he's so crazy in a super fun way. Um, Domi and J.D. Beck have a song called Two Shrimps with Mac DeMarco. this song is it mac actually i had a hard time picking a song from the full album because there's a couple of really great features on the full album but i think i learned about these guys through um the new york times like it was one of those like i don't know like wild and wacky things that are happening in music and um i could not believe the live videos of these two playing it's like jazz what is it it's like jazz and some like other stuff I mean, I don't know how old they are now. I feel like when I read the piece, they were teenagers. Anyways, this is the, the first full length. Love the whole album. There's a ton of really fun features, but I think the Back to Marco one is, is maybe my favorite. I also love Mac. I also think he's very strange. And I love that um, not always recognizable. 
like I feel like he's very adventurous and features on lots of interesting things and then obviously just makes really interesting records on his own. But yeah, Nomi and JD Beck, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know if this is like forever or like, are they legends? Like, I have no idea. They're so young and they're so wild. And yeah, just I think the song is great. I think the whole album is great. really helps to watch the videos of them live like it is mind-blowing like they are so fantastic like just I mean as a as a sort of like and I'm not saying this because I'm like fishing for encouragement or whatever but I, I does not matter how hard I work at being a musician I will always be very average like I am an average musician I think I have a strong sense of melody I'm creative I, I have been able to pull together all of my skills and I have been able to achieve something and make something out of that. I am not a fabulous musician. I'm just not, you know, I've played whatever that thing is about, like, if you play guitar for 10,000 hours, like you'll be an expert. I feel like I've played 1 million hours. I will never be an expert. Like, I'm just, I'm good enough. You know, like, that's just, like, that is the reality. And the magic of Tegan and Zara is something in that, you know, that thing of being kind of average, but then also like exceptional in other areas. These kids are exceptional. someone like very young do something like crazy good and you're just like oh my god how good are they going to be when they're my age yes, like you know exactly. they're so good they're yeah. so good the opportunity for growth is exponential absolutely yeah tegan your next pick here is john allison weiss and a song called different now uh, can you tell me about them yeah we've known john allison weiss a long time um and they're sort of you know exploring different genres of music with every new release but i just i just love this song You know, sometimes when you know somebody and you're like, of course, I'm going to say that I like their new song. You know, like we're friends with a lot of bands and they put out music and it's great. It's like super cool and we'll, you know, tweet about it or whatever. And But like in this case, if I, even if I did not know this artist personally, I would have loved this song. I just think it's really great, mature songwriting. And uh, yeah, they've been on this like journey for the last couple of years, like living in a trailer and driving around and writing songs and just like kind of finding themselves and you can really hear it in this song. It's amazing how a song and, a, and in particular a lyric can be sung in a way that it's super upbeat or, or even poppy in a way but it's a gut punch and you know and I love you but it's different now and you know to me that's just some of the beauty of, of making music and, and artist creation of just making you feel two ways at once or even more so yeah I felt the same the one for me was goodbye is never not tough all right is just never enough and like I said I just feel like they're on a real journey as a writer and it's really exciting as someone who knows them to see their journey as a writer Tough, all right. It's just never enough, and you cry. 
But I gotta get out Cause I tried I love you But it's different now Do you take moments when you hear stuff like this And you know whether it's the, the, the melody or the lyrics Where it kind of makes you look at your own writing or You know as you're developing new things You're developing new ideas And you know does that kind of influence Or reshape any thoughts you have When you're making music? I mean, I think that as, as a band that, you know, really prides ourselves on, you know, I think pushing ourselves when it comes to lyrics, but also, you know, like when it comes to melody, I think Sarah and I are always really like that's sort of our thing, like Sarah was getting at before. We aren't necessarily masterful guitar players. We're not perfecting our gear in guitar playing. That that sort of musicianship has never really been our goal. I think we've always been using those kinds of instruments or, you know, programs like Logic that we record in as tools to write songs. And so I think lyrics and melodies tend to be the place where we spend a lot of our time and energy. And that for me has always been what I listen for in other people's music. Although we've experimented a lot with production and I do think we, you know, influence the sounds of our record. I don't mean to like diminish our contributions to our albums, but when I'm listening to someone or listening to a band for the first time, I'm often not listening to production. I am just listening. Like, is there something this artist is saying? Is there a melody here that I can't believe they wrote and I didn't? Um, that tends to be my hook first. There is music I listen to that I'm like, wow, this is dope production. But it always starts for me with the words and melody, I think. There's a moment, though, where you're like, I should have done that. Do you have that regret? I do- Oh, my God. I mean, of course, there's constantly, you know, a list going in my head of, of lyrics or lines that I just wish that had been mine, which, you know, is so great because it inspires me to do better next time and also you know even as a musician I like to imagine myself as bands that I like so I have you know when I'm listening to music I like to imagine myself as the lead singer performing that song on stage and so when I find music that I wish I had written it's great it just goes on to my playlist of me imagining myself as a different kind of rock star. Tegan and Sarah have been our guests today on 8-Track with a very cool collection of songs called New Songs that I'm loving right now. Sarah, your choice here is uh, an artist named Dijon and a song called Talk Down. Yeah, this one was a one of those moments of doom scrolling through Instagram and one of the actors who was on high school, Olivia Royer, who plays my my best friend and secret girlfriend on the show. Um, she's lovely. Um, when we first cast her to play uh, Phoebe on the show, you know, I, I didn't have any reason to be intimidated. I mean, I just sit in the dark in a chair. Like, I don't interact. I'm not on the show. And yet, when we cast Olivia, just... She seemed so glamorous and so beautiful. And I was so intimidated for Season, who plays me on the show. I was like, oh my God, Season, you have to like make out with Olivia Royer. Like, this is going to be so intense. And then we got onto set, and Olivia is like the nicest person on the planet. Like, truly, truly the nicest person I have ever met. Just generous and curious and sweet. And Season's great. She's like the coolest person. And like, they immediately had this wonderful chemistry, and all of my fears like dissipated. Then they just like have this beautiful romance on the show. But anyways, Olivia is a big music person and I don't often go to other people for music. Like I just, I have my own vibe. I have my own genres that I like, you know, whatever. 
But Olivia was the one who, um, she had posted this on her Instagram and I immediately went and downloaded the album. And I mean, I love this song, but I also love the album. But yeah, Olivia's definitely got a good, she's got a good set of ears. Every time she posts, she's one of those people that posts music on her her stories all the time. And I'm like, definitely zoned in. I mean, to me, that just kind of speaks to the fact that, like, there is so much amazing stuff out there that it's impossible to just get it all or to hear it all, to rope it all in, to get to it all. Like, any, like, because we're, we're in an industry, let's face it, like, the reality of it is that there's a lot of us are kind of really snobbish about the musical knowledge, you know, especially on like the radio side or the end of things. And nobody knows everything, nobody can get to no. everything. It's impossible. And especially now, it's just exponential compared to, you know, 25 years ago and the number of great artists and great songs that are out there. And I was like, I don't know who this is. And it's awesome. That's just fun. You know what? I think there's freedom now, in at least for me, because when I was in my early 20s, I was like really interested in becoming someone who knew everything about what was happening in music. I think it was like a reaction to feeling like we were not cool. Like we were not getting picked for like the year end top lists or we weren't getting the kinds of reviews that I hoped we would get. And so my instinct or my reflex as like, I guess like a defense mechanism or something was to like know everything about all the bands that were cool and know all the music that was happening and to be able to like talk about it, talk about what was happening. And then it just felt like I mean, it just became like insurmountable, like the mound of music that was out there. And Spotify certainly did that for me where I just was like, I I cannot keep up with this. I cannot possibly know everything that is happening. And in some ways, it's the most calm music listening time of my life because I just kind of am happy with my little corner of happy accidents and algorithm, you know, suggestions. And, you know, sometimes I just go down a deep dark hole like with Dijon or with Alex G or you know whatever and I just I'm happy just to have three albums that I want to listen to top to bottom maybe that makes me like so old but I'm just like well I like this album all the songs on it I don't even need to listen to other music you know like I just I feel like I feel like satisfied by just listening to a couple of artists and not worrying that I don't know everything that's out there. Well, there's definitely something to be said about, you know, what you were saying earlier, like, oh, I'm I'm just like my own vibe and I have my own aesthetic as far as like what I want to listen to. If somebody suggests it, it, it's almost like you want to say, no, 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 don't tell me. I, I don't yeah, want exactly. I don't want I don't want to know about anything else that's good. I don't have I don't have any time. No, this is it. Like I said, I tr- I really I don't want to be suggested to. It's the same with books. Like I'm I'm so specific about what I want to read and what I want to spend time with. TV shows different thing. Like TV and movies I'm still like go ahead and feed it to me, but when it comes to music and reading, I just I am so specific and so zeroed in. I don't know, Tika, are you are you there too? Are you in the same place? <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking like, I, I mean, clearly three of my choices were I were discoveries from other places that were given to me probably based on what I listened to. So I, I, you know, I mean, we could go on, it could be a whole, a whole thing just to go on and on about why I think streaming and the algorithm and the internet has like decimated music. But at the same time, it's been an amazing tool to find and explore new music. And like you said, it's, it's a revelation to hear something that you're like, wow, I've never heard this before. Often things that I hear now I'll go look at, you know, an artist Instagram or their streaming numbers. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed because I'll, like, I'm like, wow, I've never heard of this artist before. It's done great things for my self-esteem because I think that I I still come from that era where, you know, certain press or television or like there were certain benchmarks that you needed as an artist to be considered 
credible or valid or popular or relevant. And and now I realize like you can be massive and nobody has heard of you because people just found you on the internet. And there is something very democratic and very of the people of, of this time in that sense that I like. I like the idea that I can embrace both. You know, I still love my big massive bands and hit makers, but then I can also find a bunch of artists I've never heard of before. And I, I think the big thing, this book ends our conversation, which is just, I still want artists to be able to build careers though. And I do think that that's its own magic and its own labor. You know, most artists, even if you have a massive hit somewhere, you still have to go out and do the hard work. And the hard work is going out on tour and building a connection with an audience so that they'll show up for you and buy a t-shirt and come see you play live. And I hope that that's not being taken away. But I do love the idea that I can just find a bunch of artists no one's ever heard of. It makes me feel really excited. And I don't know, it's broadened my musical tastes to have these tools. And at the end of the day, it's it's still about making connections and reaching people so long as, you know, you can make a living and, and eat every day, you know, doing it. Yeah. And that's I mean, I suppose this is the bigger that's the bigger conversation that's happening right now is, is that, you know, what can artists demand? A lot of artists aren't making a living wage and aren't eating and aren't able to survive on the art that they make because of the way that these digital platforms have decimated and, and eroded royalty streams. But, you know, I will argue with artists about that because we grew up in a time without those things and we starved too. You know, you go out and you'd sell five CDs after a show and it was like, there, there's a hotel room. You know, that's how we made a living. So I, I don't know. It's like this weird thing where I'm like, yeah, I want to be sad that a million streams only generates $2,000 a month. But at the same time, we lived off of, you know, sales of our album sold off the stage. And so it was hard for us too, you know, and it's hard now. I mean, the world is changing and it's getting more expensive and we're about to launch a huge tour. We're charging pretty much the same as we always have for tickets for the last 10 years. We've been sort of in that sort of 40 to $50 range, but absolutely everything has increased by a hundred percent. You know, the price of buses and staff and flights and hotels and, you know, the numbers aren't what they once were, but you just, for me, being an artist means figuring it out. I love playing music so much. I'm going to figure it out. I love playing music so much. I'm going to figure out how to do it. And for us, we grew up, maybe this has to do with the way we were raised, but if it ain't broken, keep going. You know, for us, it was sort of just like, don't complain and put your head down and keep working. And that's sort of been our mentality, which as Sarah pointed out, we're kind of unwell when it comes to that kind of stuff, because we just keep going. We just keep doing it. We just take on so much, but it's because I love music so much. I don't necessarily feel entitled to a living wage. Sometimes I feel like I have to go out and figure it out. Um, but I'm glad young people are changing that conversation and are pushing back, you know, because it would be really nice to see royalties reflect something more fair, but it's the way it is. Well, thank you both for the music. Thank you for the conversation. Uh, congrats on the new record and of course the TV show as well. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It was a real pleasure. Eight new songs and a lot of great conversation with Tegan and Sarah. Look for their new album, Cry Baby, and TV series, High School. And look for next week's conversation to turn to baseball with guest DJ Ron Darling. A-Track is engineered by Jim O'Hara and produced by Sarah Wardrop with theme music by Caroline Rose. Subscribe, listen, and learn more at 8trackpod.com. I'm Russ Boris for WFUV in New York.